if God said it, I believe it. Maybe it didn't happen in 2023, but God doesn't lie. God doesn't forget about his promises. God doesn't fail his people. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he said it, I can put my trust in it. If he said it, I'm going to stand on it in 2024. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you today, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. What a, what a great service this far. Just think it's only going to get better. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. I hope you all had a, a wonderful Christmas and uh, got everything that you wanted or needed. You know, I, I unwrapped three presents that were all t-shirts. And you would think that I would be disappointed, but I was very excited. Excited. My wife got me a couple different brands, and man, just, we're going to walk into 2024. Newness. Just a beautiful thing. Some of you have no idea. You're just looking at me all weird, but it's, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Amen. I would echo what, what Pastor Carlson said, um, and, and I'm going to hopefully give you some context to this upcoming year. Um, but if you could, I, I know we, we live busy lives and we have uh, schedules that are filled with, with things, but could you do me a favor and just prioritize these five weekends next year? Um, I will tell you that coming to a certain weekend doesn't, it's not an indictment on you. If I come to the, the physical health one means that I'm, no, I, the goal is that in, in this next year that we all get a little better, that we all grow a little bit more. I, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I've been very reflective this last week and been asking myself some questions in, in, in prayer. And, and one of the questions I pondered is, did I grow in 2023? Am I the same person that I was January 1st of 2023 that I am today, December 31st? If, if the answer is yes, then we got some work to do next year. If we say, I don't recognize January 1st me because I've gone backwards, well, the beauty is we have an opportunity to, to take a step forward. And if peradventure you can say, man, I have moved forward so much in this year, praise God. Don't, don't let off the gas. Jesus is coming back. And I want him to find me busy doing his work. Amen. One verse of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. It's a, a passage of scripture that we will, I guess, be using a lot during the course of this upcoming year. You could call it the theme for this next year, if you would like. I would encourage you to highlight it in your Bible. And I'd encourage you in, in 2024 to get your hands on, on a good old-fashioned Bible. I know we have technology and we have the ability to have apps that have, you know, every Bible version you could ever imagine. Um, but there's nothing like marking up the Word of God. 
I, I just, every time I open it up, it's, it's like sitting down to a five-course meal, and I have my highlighters, and I have my pen, and I'm, I'm filling up the margins, because I, that's what we should do. This is not just a decoration. This is what it looks like when we study the Word of God. So, so get a Bible and, and bring it with you, and, and let's mark it up in this upcoming year. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul speaking to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today I, I focus your attention on just one word in that verse of Scripture, and it's, it's a word that I, I want to be said of me, not just at the conclusion of this upcoming year, but on the day I stand before Jesus, and that word is blameless. I want to be blameless. Would you set your Bibles down, and would you just pray a personal prayer? This is our last time gathering together. If you don't like the service today, you don't have to come back till next year. But will we just maybe make a commitment today that we're going to just we're going to just let our guard down and let God speak to us. Let's, let's not have it up and, and, and try to, uh, let's just let the Spirit do what it wants to do. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for your presence that is in this place. Thank you for the freedom and the liberty we have to come into your presence. Thank you for what you're doing, for what you have done this year. You have been so faithful. We are so thankful for what you have done and what you are doing. And so I pray in these next few moments that you would just captivate our hearts and our attentions. Speak to us. Let our heart be fertile soil for the word to take root. And let there be something that comes forth, fruit, a harvest in this upcoming year. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. His Ministry was one that was both incredibly impactful and, I would say, completely intentional. One that was not only effective during his lifetime, but continues to influence generations from then till today. It was a life lived so confidently for Jesus that he would tell others unapologetically, imitate me. As I imitate Christ. And during his ministry, Paul would go on three missionary journeys, and it's believed he would start at least 14 churches. Out of the 27 books in our New Testament, 13 are credited to him. Truly, Paul's life was the epitome of a life lived in constant pursuit of the will of God. And it was on his second missionary journey that Paul would come in contact with a group of individuals in Thessalonica. Acts 17 tells the story. It says that he spent three Sabbaths in the synagogue reasoning, teaching, and instructing uh, those that would listen with the scriptures. But, but unfortunately, in a very short time, Paul created waves in that community, and a mob formed. And they came to the place where he was staying with Jason. And they dragged Jason out into the streets and arrested him. And it was such a hostile environment that Paul and Silas 
were forced to leave and cut their trip short. From, from there, Paul would, would go to Berea, he would go to Athens, he would go to Corinth. However, Scripture never records him going back to Thessalonica. However, a couple years later, when Paul would pen what many believe to be his first letter, it was addressed to a growing church in the city of Thessalonica. A, a church still experiencing persecution, but a church that was thriving in the midst of it. Proving what, what Jesus said to Peter. He, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, understand something as we walk into 2024. God is going to continue building his church in this upcoming year. It doesn't matter what this upcoming year may bring. God will build a church. It, listen, persecution cannot stop the church. Wars and rumors of wars cannot stop the church. Economic decline cannot hinder the church. Government mandates and laws cannot bring his church to a halt because nothing can stop the church of the living God. I understand what Paul saw so clearly. He, he said, I may plant, you may water, but it's God who brings the increase. He, he said, you, you may work hard in ministry. You, you might be faithful to the house of God. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God is the one that brings the increase. So anything that happened, I would say, in 2023 and anything that's going to happen in 2024 is not because of me and is not because of you. But it's all because of God. I can tell you I am thankful for what God has done in these last 52 weeks in this church. I'm thankful for the growth. I'm thankful for the God moments. I'm thankful for the word that has come across this pulpit. But it is not a man or a woman that gets the credit. All the glory and all the honor and all the adulation and all the praise goes to God for the great things that he has done in 2023. Come on, I think he deserves a little more than that. Can you thank him for his faithfulness? Can you thank him for the healings and for the miracles? Can you thankful for those who were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins? Can you thankful for those whose lives were drastically changed? The sinners that repented, those who received the gift of the Holy Ghost to God be the glory. Paul writes this letter to this church, and he begins to encourage them to remain faithful amidst persecution. He, he exhorts them to continue to love one another. He emphasizes the importance of, of holy living and abstaining from sexual immorality. And then he closes by encouraging them of the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, it, it may be bad, but just look up because Jesus is coming back soon. And, and so now is not a time to slow down. Now is not a time to let up. Now is not a time to back up on your convictions or loosen your standards. Now is a time to step forward and to be holy and separated unto God. And as Paul is closing this first packed letter, it's really so profound what he says, but it's the closing comments. It's really the P.S., if you would. And he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. Another rendition says, may the God of peace make you holy 
in every way. Rem remember, we've talked about this a number of times, and so this might seem like uh, old hat, but, but salvation is one of the most elastic words in the Bible. S salvation, it, it, it reaches into the past. It, it meets us in our present, and it stretches into the future. Just so there's no confusion, salvation isn't a moment. Salvation is a process. This isn't Willy Wonka religion where I received the golden ticket 20 years ago and I'm good and I don't have to do anything. No, salvation is a process. And so we, we use three words to describe this process. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, it speaks to the, the finished work of Calvary where Jesus died for our sins and, and how we, we identify and we accept what he did as we repent of our sins. And it's not just a one-time deal that we repent of our sins. Paul said, I die to myself daily. Daily we need to repent because within us dwells no good thing. Then we need to be baptized in the only saving name, the name of Jesus Christ. When we go under the water, it says that we are buried with him in baptism. He, he remits our sins. He washes them away, never to be remembered or to be pulled up. And then we need to receive the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. It's not my idea. It's, it's what Jesus told to Nicodemus. It's what Paul or Peter would rather would say on the day of Pentecost to those Jews who were confused and asking what to do. And Paul, I'm sure thinking of this, would say in Romans 8 and 30, he says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these also he called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these also glorified. One day, the sky is going to split open. And the trump of God is going to sound. Scripture says the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with Christ. Paul would say it this way. He said this corruptible body will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. And then it will be said that death is swallowed up. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And in that moment glorification takes place because in that moment we will be saved forever from the presence of sin. However, until that day, there is a process that we must work at, and that is to be sanctified. Sanctification is simply put as being separated from the world and separated unto God. If I can say it this way, it's being saved from the power of sin. And understand something about sanctification, much like salvation, sanctification is a process. It's a continual process. It's a journey, if I could put it this way. And so, in all of us in this room, we are all on different places in the journey. It doesn't mean if you're ahead of me, you're better than me, and if you're behind me, you're any worse than me. No, but we are all moving and trying to be closer than God. And so what that means is if you are a mature Christian and you've been living for God a long time and you look back and see people who don't have the same convictions or the same standards, your goal is not to ridicule or to look down at them, but realize we're all on a journey to get more and more like Christ. The, the reality is, the, the more I get closer to Christ, imperfection and perfection can't dwell together. And so the closer I get to him, the more he shines lights in areas of my heart and my life and says, if you want to come closer, you're going to have to let go of that. 
if you want more of me, you're going to have to get rid of that. If you're going to, if you're going to do more in my kingdom, you're going to have to be willing to abandon that. And so we're all on a process, a process called sanctification. And Paul says that the God of peace himself wants to sanctify you completely. That, that he wants, and, and, and I think it's Philippians 2.15, he says, uh, him that started it, he will see it through to completion. God is not a God who starts something. He's not like us. We start projects, or, or, or maybe some husbands, maybe none of you, I'm sure, maybe just me. We start projects, and then we get distracted because uh, we, you know, the oven goes off and the food's ready. And we're like, oh, we'll come back to this next year. Um, but God's not that kind of God. God doesn't start a work in someone's life and say, I'm going to take a break from you, all right? I'm going to take 2024 off, and you just kind of do what you want. No, if he starts the work, he will see it through to completion. And so sanctification is a process. And then he continues with this idea, and he says, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me teach for a little bit. I want to just pull some things out of the scripture today. Notice three things with me. The first thing is listen to what he says. He says your, your entire or your whole spirit, soul, and body. There, there's a lot of discussion and debate around spirit, soul, and body. Is man, is man a dichotomy? Is man a trichotomy? And I'm sure some of you at the dinner table this year have gotten into this discussion with your spouse. You know, is it two parts? Is it three parts? No, I'm sure none of you have gotten into this conversation. <laughs> and we're not going to approach the conversation today. But what is important is the implication of what Paul is saying. Paul says, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body. M meaning, meaning the entirety of your person. The entirety of who you are. Pa Paul is saying, uh, it, it's not just about your spirit. And I know maybe some of you are like, who, who cares about physical health? Why, why do we have to address that? Why, why, why are you talking about financial health? Why, why do you have to wade into the water? Just, just you give me the spiritual stuff and I'll figure out the rest. Paul says, no, no, your spirit, your soul, and your body, all of it should be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you, when you consider each part, you learn a little bit more about what it is. The spirit, the, the spirit is from God. And, and we'll talk more about this next week, but, but the Spirit was something that when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was, there was a death, a spiritual death that took place. And, and it wasn't until the day of Pentecost and the upper room that man had the opportunity to be reunited with that Spirit when he began to speak with other tongues, because tongues is an outward expression of an inward experience. And so the Spirit is from God, and it's something that he gives to us. But then there's the soul. The soul is the seat of our emotion. It's our will. It's our mind. The, the soul encompasses the intellectual, emotional, and, and decision-making aspects of an individual. It's, it's who you are as a person, what you like, what you dislike, how, how you behave. Uh, that's your soul. And then there's the body. It's the physical part of us. It, it gets hungry. It, it gets tired. Dependent upon how we take care of it, it either ages quickly or breaks down quickly, or it, it ages gracefully and, and, and keeps on ticking. The body was made to be resilient, but how we treat it determines how it responds. And he said, your entire spirit, soul, and body. And Paul's saying we need wholeness in each area. Wholeness 
is, is being complete. It's, it's no part being deficient or unstable because that's what God desires. He desires the entirety of us to be complete. And Paul says, may your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Now, notice something else about this, and, and I don't think this is by chance, that, that there is an order to this. Paul didn't just pick the words and put them and and the way they came to his mind, but he put them in order of priority. He says, your spirit, then your soul, then your body. And so we have to understand that we have to always prioritize the things of the spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. The problem is sometimes we try to fight spiritual battles with fleshly weapons. And, and, and when the Spirit of God comes inside of us, that is what we need to feed. That's what we need to, uh, we need to walk in the Spirit. The, the Spirit is attuned to God because it's God living within us. And, and if you want to walk in the Spirit, that is something that you daily have to decide. It's not just something you're entitled. I, I got the Holy Ghost 10 years ago at a camp meeting, or, or I came to this altar seven years ago and I got the Holy Ghost and I'm good. No, it's something you have to cultivate. It's something that you have to feed. That if you want the fruit of the Spirit to be active in your life, well, you need more of the Spirit. Because a byproduct of a life lived in the Spirit is you are going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. A byproduct of a life that's walking in the Spirit is you'll unwrap the gifts of the Spirit, which is what God has for us. And so we must walk in the Spirit. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But it's always this part that gets me. For without me, you can do nothing. So, so what does that mean? Let me just put it this way. To, to prioritize your emotional wellness over your spiritual wealth, wellness is not only getting it out of order, but it's attempting to do it without God. We, understand, and I'm saying this with love, if we prioritize our emotional health over our spiritual health, we're going to keep going in circles. We're going to keep getting the same results. Because, again, that's us trying to fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. And so never should we say, I'm too tired and I need emotional rest and so I'm not going to come to church. No, no, that's where you need to be. That's where you get the refreshing of the spirit. That, that's where you get what God has for you. It's here. To prioritize your physical well-being over your relationship with God and your church attendance is getting it out of order. But you got to understand, i, I got to work out. i got to exercise. Yeah, yes, you do. But, but Paul said, he said, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness profiteth for all things. Yes, there is a place for bodily exercise. I did it yesterday, and my body is, is, is angry at me because I worked out. But it has, it has its place. But, but you never will find me working out more than I pray. Because before I exercise my physical muscles, I need to make sure I exercise my spiritual muscles. But how often do we live out of order and wonder why our lives are in disorder? I, you just don't understand. Life is chaotic. I've learned in 37 years of living that we are the byproduct of the decisions we made. I have to work three jobs. You feel sorry for me. No, you decided you wanted all that stuff. 
and, and you bought more than you could afford, and so now you have to work to pay for all the stuff. Feel sorry for me. My body is breaking down. Well, well, you've smoked for the last 50 years, and you've eaten nothing but sugar, and now you're wondering why these things are happening. It, it's the law of reciprocity. What you take in is what you get out. And I'm not trying to be mean or nasty, but let's not, let's not over-spiritualize things that are our decisions. Well, I'm just going through a battle. Yeah, it's a battle of your own making. It's, it, it's a mess that you made. doesn't mean God can't help you clean it up, but don't blame the mess on God. And, and so if our lives are in disorder, the first thing we need to ask is, am I in order? If my life is chaotic, I need to ask the question, is God first in my life? He's not just first because you say he's first. He's first because you live it. He's not first because, because you say a couple prayers in the morning. He's first because every moment and every action and every decision is lived through the lens of eternity. And everything you say and do is not my will, but it's his will be done. Paul said there's an order. Paul said, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. That, that word preserved blameless, it, it means to be without defect or blemish. It, it means to be above reproach. It, it means that there shouldn't be any fault found in you. That, that there shouldn't be uh, the ability for someone to level accusation at you. And he said, not just your spirit, but your soul and your body. Let them all be preserved blameless. Paul would say in another letter to the church of Philippi that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among who you shine as lights in the world. You see, when I live blameless in spirit, soul, and body, it's not just in my relationship with God that I shine bright, but it's in the, in the function of my family that I shine bright. It's in the proper management of my finances that I shine bright. It's in taking care of the temple of the Holy Ghost that I shine bright. It's in the management of my emotions that I shine bright. And he said, in every area you should be blameless, above reproach. So, so why is this important? Why, why am I bringing this up? The, the reality is we live in a society that is bankrupt. Financially bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Our world is anything but blameless. Let, let me, let me, let's talk about this for a second. And I don't mean to paint a, a, a disparaging or depressing picture, but I think, I think it's important that we talk about this, and this will show the why this is so important. Let, let's talk about spiritual health for a minute. In 2019, Crossway did a survey of over 14,000 people, and they found that only 2% of people would say they are very satisfied with their overall prayer lives. With the largest percentage saying they had low satisfaction. Only 6% of people said they prayed at least one hour a day. Now, I've learned in counseling and in talking to people that when you ask the question, how is your prayer life, and the question is answered with, it's not as good as it should be, the real answer is, I don't pray at all. I'm just going to make it sound like I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for a mark. And the reality is, this is our society. We believe in a God we don't pray to. According to Christianity Today, only 10% of Americans say they read their Bible daily, with 39% saying they read it multiple times in a year. 
According to LifeWay Research Group, 78% of people say they haven't shared their faith in the last six months. In this article, two-thirds of American Christians reported not knowing any method on how to tell someone about Jesus. I don't know how to tell people about Jesus, so therefore I say nothing. In 2020, 47% of Americans said that they belonged to a church which was down from 70% in 1999. This was the first time that a poll found less than half of Americans belonged to a church. Increasingly today is a group, not atheists, not agnostics, but a group called nuns, people who identify as non-religious. 30% of Americans say they are non-religious. It's not that I don't believe in God. It's not, not that I don't say that there's a God. It's just I don't have anything to do with that God. He's there Christmas and Easter. But otherwise, I have priorities and things to do. And it's evident that we're in a spiritual decline in our country. Let's, let's talk about emotional health. 21% of adults are experiencing at least one mental illness. That's roughly 50 million people in the United States. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, marijuana and hallucinogens, binge drinking reached historic highs among adults in 30 to 35 to 50 years old in 2022. According to Gallup's annual emotion report in 2022, Americans are more stressed, worried, and angrier than ever before. According to the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, around 76% of adults said that they have experienced health impacts due to stress in the prior month, including headaches, fatigue, feeling nervous or anxious, and are feeling depressed or sad. 2023, 32.3% of Americans reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. The number of medical appointments related to gender identity disorder rose from just under 14,000 in 2016 to almost 40,000 in 2020. We live in a world that is emotionally unstable. And, and, and if you look at the statistics and you see the cascading effect from one generation to the next, the, the, the statistics are only going higher. Millennials were more anxious and more depressed. Now, now Gen Z is more anxious and depressed. Almost half of them are anxious, depressed, and on and some sort of medication to help them with it. We live in a world that is emotionally out of control. How about physical health? Less than 5% of adults participate in 30 minutes of physical activity each day. Only one in three adults receive the recommended amount of physical activity each week. Did you know that 30 minutes of exercise is the equivalent to an anti-anxiety med? It has the same effect. 30 minutes of exercise. I, I was listening to a podcast a while ago, and they said if, if individuals would just get outside and and, and just walk 30 minutes. They said most of them could get off of their medications because what their body should be producing with exercise, it's not. Recent reports project that by 2030, half of all adults in the United States will be obese, which it's currently at 40%. As of 2022, 70% of Americans report taking at least one prescription medication a day. 70%. Now let's talk about family health. According to Pew Research, the family is looking very different these days. In 1970, 67% of Americans aged 25 to 49 
were living with their spouse and one or more children younger than 18. As of 2021, that number went from 67% down to 37%. The, the, The family is being redefined and is looking different. And here's what it looks like. 21% are married with no kids. And we see that, that the age, that, that actually the world population is getting to a place where it's actually starting to go down because our generation, my generation, the younger generation is saying, I'm going to get an education, I'm going to get married, I'm going to wait till I'm a success, and then if I have time, I'll have children. And so children are being pushed off later and later in life. 11% still live at home or with their family members. 7% are cohabitating with no kids. 6% are unpartnered with, with kids. 5% cohabitating with kids. R- roughly one in two children will see their parents' marriage break up at some point. 21% of children in American, America are being raised without the presence of a father. And the incarceration rates go through the roof without a father figure in a house. 70 to 80% of Americans consider their family dysfunctional. When, when Black Lives Matter came out, it was later scrubbed from their website, but one of their initial uh, articles or points, or uh, I guess you could say their purposes as an organization, was to abolish or disrupt the nuclear family. And it's evident if you look at our culture, if, if you turn on the, the news for just a split second, listen to what's being talked about, listen to what's being praised, divorce, sexual rebellion, abortion, sterilization, delinquency, infidelity, homosexuality, women's liberation, children's right. All these things are being celebrated. Later, earlier this year, we got a note from Aurora Healthcare about our 13-year-old daughter, and it said, going forward, when your daughter comes in, you have no right to know what we talked about with her. This is what families are becoming. We have a culture that is redefining the family. We have a culture that is ultimately attempting to destroy the family. Or how about financial health? According to a financial survey done by Ramsey Solutions in 2022, the average American has just under $15,000 in credit card debt. The average American has just under $60,000 in student loans, which, oh, by the way, they just came back to repayment. Most Americans have at least 31000 of auto loans, and the average mortgage is over $200,000. And of those Americans, 49% have less than $1,000 saved for an emergency, with 33% say that they have no savings at all. 40% of Americans rely on their credit card to cover their basic monthly expenses, and 52% of Americans are living from paycheck to paycheck. As I was putting these together, And searching for them, I I kept thinking of the same scripture over and over in my head. The thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. I don't think this looks like abundant life. I don't think this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, I would that you would have abundant life. Is this important? Why am I bringing this up? Why is this important in 2024? Let me submit to you three reasons. The first reason is this, that we are interconnected beings. The the reality is, is we cannot segment aspects of our life or focus on some while excluding others because we're interconnected. And so when, let me just give you a picture. When, When debt is crippling us, it impacts our marriage, which affects our emotions, which causes us to start eating unhealthy, which gets us to a place where we look at God a little bit differently. 
When we're dealing with chronic illness, it, it can affect our finances because the medical bills are coming in. I, I, I talked with a friend that lives in another state a while back, and he called me. He was going through a rough time. His, his son had just been uh, diagnosed with a seizure disorder. His younger daughter had some issues. He had just went into the hospital with a chest or a heart issue. They were talking to him. He's, he's under 40. They were saying, you might need to have a heart transplant. And so here he is, this, this 33-year-old guy. His, his, his son is not doing well. He had to spend $10,000 to get uh, this, this specialty thing to help his son. And so his finances are now in disarray. And, and, and on top of that, ministry is suffering. And he called me, and he was all over the map. In that conversation, there was highs and there were lows. The corresponding highs were met by the corresponding lows. At one minute, we were going to quit ministry. The next minute, we need to get more involved in ministry. At one minute, we're going to sell the house. The next minute, we need to upgrade and buy a different house. And I finally said, stop. Stop. Just, just take a step back. Don't, you got to see what's happening. This is, this is a big thing that's taking place. And everything in your life is in disarray right now. Now is not the time to be making decisions. Three weeks later, he got a good report from the doctor. His heart had been healed. His son is doing better. He called me and he said, I am doing so much better. And I said, do you see what the difference was between three weeks ago and today? The, the reality is most of us, if one of these five areas, our, our physical health, our financial health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, or our family, if one of these things goes awry, we can, we can figure out we're smart enough. We can, we can come together and we can try to figure it out. But if two of these things starts going awry, all of a sudden it becomes a domino effect in our life. And our life becomes chaotic and we don't know up from down. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And that's when we start making poor decisions. And, and, and Paul said, I would that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the second thing I would submit to you, and, and really it's, it's the main one, and it's this. It's hard to be effective in a world we are affected by. In Jeremiah chapter 12, Jeremiah was, was incredibly frustrated and concerned with what was going on around him. Let me just give you a little bit of what Jeremiah says to the Lord. Jeremiah 12 and 1, he says, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you, so let me bring you this complaint. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You have planted them and you have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and test my thoughts. Drag these people away like sheep to be butchered. He, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was going in on it. Let, let them have it. Set them aside to be slaughtered. How long must this, must this land mourn? He's saying what they're doing is affecting the land. Even the grass in the fields has withered. The wild animals and the birds have disappeared because of the evil in this land. For the people have said the Lord doesn't see what's ahead of us. I, I think we can agree with the sentiment of Jeremiah. Look at, look at our world. Look at the things that are taking place. Look at the, the news. Go out to the news and just read the, the top five headlines and, and you can understand that the wicked are prospering. Economic uncertainty and political unrest. We're morally bankrupt. And, and it's easy to look at God in frustration and say, where are you? Why are you allowing this to take place? Why are evil people continuing to succeed? And why are their plans continuing to move forward? And how does God respond to Jeremiah's question? Does he, does he say, you're right, I'm going to get right on it? No. The Lord speaks to Jeremiah and he says to him in verse 5, If racing against mere man makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? 
God's answer to Jeremiah is both profound as it is powerful. Without directly answering the question, God encouraged Jeremiah regarding his present challenge as a preparation for what was to come. Yes, I understand, Jeremiah, that, that you're being persecuted by the villagers of Anathoth. I understand that, that you're watching godless and wicked people prosper. But if you can't succeed now, how are you going to be able to succeed then? And when we look at Jeremiah's life, we understand that, that later he gets thrown into jail. Later, he, he, he gets uh, put into a cistern. He spends a night in stocks. Life doesn't get easier for Jeremiah. And, and so I guess the question to us is, if you can't pray and witness now, how are you going to be able to do it when things continue to get worse? If you can't steward your finances and your health now, which are God's, how are you going to make it when things get worse? If you can't stand in strength and with soundness of mind now, how are you going to be effective in this world when things get darker? I'm convinced that if the world comes into the church and we look identical to them, why would they want to be a part of what we have? If the world looks at us and says, you're in debt and your family is in disarray and your emotions are all over the board and you hate yourself and you hate others, why do I want what you want? Why do I want what you have? And so how can we be effective? How can we win this community if we blend in with them? The scripture still rings true now as it did when it was said, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. Touch not the unclean things and I will receive you. It's time for us to let go of the enticements of this world and to realize that if I'm going to be effective in 2024, there is going to be some things that are going to have to change. If I'm going to be effective in this world, if I'm going to help other people, I need to be at a place where I'm not chasing the dollar every day. This year has been transformative for, for Angie and I. It was seven years ago. I was sitting at a table. And I'll tell you, we had over $100,000 in student loans. We had two car loans. We had uh, uh, health debt because of her health issues. We had a, a mortgage, and we had probably $40,000 in credit cards. And I looked at her, and I said, how are we going to ever get out of this? This year, we paid off all of our debt. We, we got to a place where we said, enough is enough. And now that, that's not I'm, not, I'm not trying to get a pat on the back because those last seven years have been hard years. We started living like no one else. We started saying no when we wanted to say yes. We started doing things differently because we realized if I do the same thing, I'm going to continue to get the same results. And so we started living radically. We're living radically now with our health. We're living radically now with our emotions. We're getting to a place that we said, if we're going to run in this end time hour, I have to be different. I have to look different. I have to act different. I have to sound different. And so our goal in 2024 is to become healthy. Because, because here's the profound statement. Healthy things grow. Healthy churches grow. Healthy people grow. 
You might say, well, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that by the end of this next year, all of us have to be completely debt-free and we got to lose a ton of weight and be all off of our prescription medication? And are you saying that our emotions have to be intact and our, our children, we have to be like the perfects every time we smile, there's a little sparkle that comes off and every one of us is praying an hour and we all read our Bible through in January. That'd be awesome. But, but what if we all just said at the end of next year, we've taken a big step? That I'm not the person I used to be. What if, what if from month to month we can look back and say, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm going further. I'm taking one small step at a time. Remember that was the start of last year. I'm going to do one small thing at a time. And, and it may not look like much, but with each step I'm getting closer to my goal. And with each step I'm becoming more like Jesus. And with each step I'm letting go of the flesh and I'm cleaving to the Spirit. I want to be more like Jesus in 2024. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I'm going to start right now and today, and I'm going to start doing radical things so I can be more like Jesus. Would you stand with me all over this place? And I hope you hear my heartbeat today. I hope you hear the heart of a pastor. This is, this is not trying to make you feel guilty. This is, this is not trying to say that you're unhealthy. But I think all of us can agree that we want to be better. We want to go further. We want to be more effective in 2024. It was, it was a short letter, but its effect was long. The letter would have been read in the hearing of the congregation. However, the impact of its contents far surpassed that day. As a matter of fact, the impact would define this congregation. It would not only challenge them, but it would change them. The church of Thessalonica took the charge of Paul very seriously. Years ago, archaeologists found something incredibly intriguing. When they were looking through the ruins of Thessalonica, they realized that on certain tombstones there would be a word etched into it. They did some research and they realized that, that this was at the believer's request. And so on every tombstone of a believer, the word would be written, blameless. They didn't just say, that's a cute concept, Paul. They took it to heart and they said, until my dying breath, it's my desire. And it, this is not just a fad. This is my focus. This isn't just a watchword for 2024, but this is my way of life. That in everything I am, that in everything I do, I want to be blameless. I want to be blameless in my relationship with God. I want to be blameless with the way I manage my finances. I want to be blameless with the way I, I, I look at my health and my emotions. I want to be blameless in my family today. I don't know what your thoughts are. But I wonder if that's your heartbeat for this year. Maybe we need to work out the how. Maybe right now we're just reminded by all those statistics of, of what we don't have and where we're not. But we'll work through it. But I'm wondering if we could just step forward as a commitment. And on our lips, our desire would be, God, help me to be blameless this upcoming year. Here's the beauty that if, if you fell short in 2023, Scripture says if we confess our faults, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and 
to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. David would pen in Psalms 139. He would say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. Can we just lift our hands all over this building? I want my family to be blameless in 2024. I want the life that I live, the actions that I make, the choices and decisions that I walk in, I want them to be blameless. If you feel so inclined, I invite you down to this altar today. Would you take a minute before we ring in this new year to spend a couple moments with God? Ask Him, Lord, search me today. Know my heart. Lord, test me. He, he ended by saying, lead me in the way everlasting. God, what I'm saying is I can't do this without you. I, I look at what my life has become and I see things that overwhelm me. And I know something has to change, but God, I need your help. Would you give me the, the fortitude? Would you give me the strength? Would you give me the courage to address those things? Help me, Lord. I know maybe I've made plans and I've messed up and I've fallen on my face, but, but today, tomorrow, next week, and next month are going to be different. I want to be blameless, Jesus. All my actions, Lord, all my attitudes, how I live, help it to be blameless today.